I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was an unusually rainy day in Woodland Hills, California, when I stepped onto the campus of Chime a kindergarten through eighth grade full inclusion charter school. Dr. Aaron Studer, the principal of CHIME, and Amy Hanready, a professor at California State University Northridge, gave me a tour. Our first stop was a third grade classroom where a diverse group of students were in the middle of literacy centers or something called Daily Five. The first thing Dr. Studer highlighted was their focus on universal design for learning. That's our, that's where we start. All lessons need to be universally designed uh, because, you know, I always tell people that it, it doesn't matter how many adults you put in a room, if it's a bad lesson, then it's just a bunch of adults teaching a bad lesson, right? So it has to be a good universally designed lesson with multiple means of engagement, representation, and expression, right? Um, so... He then went on to explain how they planned for flexible grouping with the wide variety of instructional levels that there are in the classroom. And for those of you who don't know, Daily 5 is not a curriculum, but a way to structure language arts in the classroom into five rotations. Read to self, work on writing, read to someone, word work, and listen to reading. And this is where differentiation comes into play. How can the teachers plan for the success of all students? This is really the backbone of what ensures that inclusive education will work. And Dr. Studer explains. Right? So we're not going to read to self and everybody's going to read the exact same thing. We've actually structured it through the co-planning process where everybody's getting what they need within any one of those stations or centers. Right? Um, Co-teaching and co-planning, they go together. Uh, If you don't co-plan with your co-teacher, you're not actually co-teaching, you're just teaching nearby. You don't have a plan, you just, you know, so... um, Let me repeat that in case you missed it. Co-teaching and co-planning go together. 
If you are not co-planning with your co-teacher, you are just teaching nearby. You don't have a plan. I want to emphasize that when people say that inclusion doesn't work, it has more to do with the symptoms of a broken special education system and how it supports students rather than the practice of universal design for learning, differentiation, and co-teaching. If you are not implementing these practices, then it is difficult for me to even call it inclusion. Also, while I'm at it, I want you to think about how preposterous it is that many school districts say they are inclusive because they have inclusion classrooms. Think about it. Over there is the inclusion classroom. Over there are the special education classrooms. And the other ones are for the general education kids. Special education is a service, not a place. Ask around in education circles and you will find that inclusion classrooms often have more than half of their students with individualized education programs. If we were following what Lou Brown talked about in the last episode, natural proportions, our teachers wouldn't be so spread thin. Right. Um, so I always say that we're suspicious of desks and rows. We're pretty sure that five rows of desks pointed at one smart person don't actually bring about learning. And, uh, and so we, we design our rooms that way, and then the design of our room actually kind of pushes the design of our instruction, right? Because we, we inherently know that they are in a configuration by which they should be working and learning with and from one another. After a couple of more stops on the middle school side of the campus, which was fascinating, we decided to go to a kindergarten classroom where they were having indoor recess. And we walked into the class and they were dancing to a Go Noodle video. So one thing I noticed about all the classrooms at Chime was that not one of them was quiet when I walked in. Not one of them had all of their students doing the same exact thing at the same time. Not one of them had their students sitting in rows listening to a lecture. This is probably the thing that stood out to me the most. It wasn't even that in each classroom you could see typically developing students learning side by side with students with autism, Down syndrome, intellectual disabilities, and physical disabilities. If I had a student engagement meter with me as I walked around the campus, it would be measuring off the charts. Today on the podcast, our guest is Dr. Aaron Studer, principal of Chime Charter School. We discuss how Chime has made inclusion work since the 90s and how they can serve as a model for what is possible for schools in the United States and beyond. My name is Tim Villegas. We are so glad you are here with us. After a short break, our interview with Dr. Aaron Studer. I'm Dr. Aaron Studer, and you're listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. At 
Chime, you know, we're a TK through eighth grade program. So we have uh, four-year-olds to 14-year-olds. That's who I get to hang out with uh, every day, which is a lot of fun. Uh, 790 uh, total students on our campus. We have one campus here uh, in the San Fernando Valley. And um, about 160 of those are students with IEPs. Uh, of those 160, uh, right around 60 are students with uh, low incidence disabilities, so moderate to severe disabilities that you generally find in about you know 3% of the population if you just went kind of any basic neighborhood, right? Um, so that number puts us at, at about double. About we have about seven to eight percent of our kids are kids with uh, low incidence disabilities. Um, we have had students over the years, and really at any given time, from all thirteen disability categories. I would say, um, and uh, we um, have students with autism, orthopedic impairments, emotional and behavioral disabilities. Um, kids who've suffered from traumatic brain injury, visual impairment, on and on. Um, we're part of a, in California, uh, special education responsibility ultimately lies with what we call uh, special education local planning areas or SELPAs, right? And so I've done a lot of work with our, our SELPA. I sit on our board and, and that kind of thing. And so I kind of get to see all the numbers and I had to chuckle to myself last year, we were running numbers on different campuses and um, we have uh, the number of our, our students with orthopedic impairment is the same as the number of students with orthopedic impairment at our next three closest high schools. So you had to sort of, uh, and these are 3,000 to 4,000 student high schools, right? So you had to add up the kids with orthopedic impairment at the next three large comprehensive high schools to equal the number uh, of kids with orthopedic impairment we have here at our one campus. So we, we have a density of kids, right, with uh, moderate to severe disabilities. And uh, yeah, and everybody's in the model, right? There's no RSP class, there's no pullout, there's no special day. Everybody is educated 100% of the time uh, in the general education classroom. And we do it through, you know, collaborative co-teaching model. We have a lot of schools who come to us to visit. Uh, we do a fair amount of training or have over the last five or six years uh, of, of teachers and school teams that come. And um, I think I've evolved to the idea around inclusion that when uh, we want to do inclusion on a large scale level, um, whether it's a school site or maybe a, a network of schools or a district, that um, it cannot be the uh, mission of, of special education, right? So, it, and I've started to tell this story, you've probably heard it a couple times now, Amy, it's my metaphor. And I say, you know, when, when the special education department leads the charge for inclusion, it's like the ending scene of Braveheart. When Mel Gibson is up on the, the grassy knoll and he's giving his, his speech, right, uh, to his, his Scottish band of warriors and, you know, he implores them to go fight and they will never take our freedom and they yell and they charge down the grassy knoll and they are slaughtered because it did not actually matter how noble their cause was 
they don't have as many people. <laughs> They're going to lose this fight. And I think that that happens uh, in, in, uh, in schools all the time. The special education department's like, we need inclusion, freedom. And there's just not, there's way more general education teachers than there are special education, right? So in, in the building, you know, this needs to be a vision about how we run our school for all kids. We're not going to do this really sophisticated, intricate, integrated approach to teaching all children for this 15% of kids. We actually, we need to do that for 100% of the kids in the building. And so, you know, it needs to be all our mission. Otherwise, it's just going to look like a really, you know, bad battle scene at the end right we're gonna we're not gonna get the traction we want we're gonna get wiped out and you know and it'll be that thing that we tried that one year right and then and then we'll move on and i don't know adopt a new ela curriculum instead and use our institutional resources to do that um so i think part of the conversation about inclusion needs to expand beyond kids with special needs and look at how this is an excellent model for our English learners. This is an excellent model for our kids from disadvantaged socioeconomic uh, situations. This is an excellent model for our kids who are gifted, right? And you can just kind of go down the list of the kids and show how having co-teaching approaches, universal design approaches, positive behavior support approaches, that's great for everybody in the building. And I think when we can move the conversation there, the the uh, work becomes a lot easier, right? And doesn't feel like we're doing that that uh, uphill battle. Is that the sink? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna loop back to my phrase there. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like we're doing that uphill battle, and like we're the little band. Of, of you know entrusted souls to move this inclusion mission forward but that it's a it's a vision of the school and I think moving that conversation is the job of leadership and so I think that 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 special education teacher in the moderate to severe special day class can advocate and can push and can be a part of it but I think ultimately you know we need um, you know, wise, compassionate, and future-looking leaders who are willing to pull the big lever and say, actually, we run schools this way. In the world of in inclusion and different kinds of, you know, systems that support inclusion, we do a lot of uh, training on co-teaching, right? And so we're going to this co-teaching training or that co-teaching training. And I always, you know, make a point of saying co-teaching and co-planning. And I say them together as fast as I can. Like they're, they're one. They're, we've hardly even hit the space bar, right? Uh, because if you're not co-planning, right, you're not actually co-teaching. You're just teaching nearby. You just happen to be proximal to someone, you know, doing other kinds of teaching. Real authentic co-teaching that brings about inclusive environments has a plan. And you've spent time with that co-teaching team or with that the staff in the room saying, okay, we're going to work together. Here's the lesson. You know, here's the, the, the sort of standard and objective we're teaching. This is the big idea of what we're going to do. While I'm doing this, you're doing that. And then 
we're going to make sure you know this student and this student and this student's needs are met by making this accommodation or this adaptation right and then we're working together as a team and we plan that out in advance because the the uh the thing is that when you look when you go to schools and you look at co-teaching systems and i get i have the privilege of going to visit different schools on occasion and they say hey we're doing co-teaching if i walk into their classrooms and when i look at their co-teaching model and 100% of the classrooms or 90% of the classrooms are de- doing either one teach one support or alternative group right two of our two of our co-teaching models but they're only doing those two i'm pretty sure they're not co-planning right and the reason is those are the two co-teaching models where if i'm the special education teacher and i walk into a room and we haven't actually planned together Right? I can walk over to you, the general education teacher, and say, what are we doing? How can I help? Right? And the general education teacher says, well, just walk around and see if anybody needs anything. Or take Jose and Maya and Susie and pull them to the table. They need to work on their multiplication. Right? And then that passes as co-teaching in Dozens and dozens of schools across America, you know, scores of districts. We call it co-teaching. And even sometimes the special education teacher will get into the the fallacy of being like, and I co-taught today. I went in, I helped kids, check, I did my co-teaching time good for me, right? But it's not, that's not real. That's not authentic. That's not making the best use of the two wise, educated uh, teachers in the room. I was just going to add in co-assessment. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that like kind of finishing the loop that together we are looking at student performance and making use of work samples and data and then using that in our planning. And you know, I mean, but we're both are part of that whole cycle of assessment, planning, instruction. Absolutely true. I just can't them. say all three of them fast enough to make it seem like one thing. Co-plan, co-instruct, co teaching, co planning, co assessing. Co teaching, co planning, co I say co instruct. Yeah. Co instruct. Well, there we go. Yeah, all in one. We have we have these two systems, right? We have special ed and we have general education. Um, what do you see as the future of special education and how it fits into education in general? Do you see? Do you have a vision of where it's going? Wow, do I have a vision of where it's going? Um, I have a vision of where I'd love to see it go. I don't know if that's where it's going. Um, I think it's, you know, a big, big thing, right? When you talk about special education and even the variety of system structures and service delivery that I see, you know, from Los Angeles to Denver, to New York, to Atlanta, to you know, they're not all the same. Even though we are are you know supposedly playing by the same rules of this same federal law, the ways in which we have all decided state by state and in some cases city by city to work this out are not all the same. So it's hard to like get this unified vision. Um, but I think there are there are trends and currents and things that are pushing us all in certain ways. Um, hopefully. Um, I think that we need to, on the adult learner level, dramatically close the gap in preparation between general education and special education. 
um, for the good of all. All teachers will be better if we have more in common. And I'm not saying that there isn't specialty to be found in subject matter specialists, and there isn't specialty to be found in, you know, uh, how to approach early literacy or, you know, remediate a reading disability or support a student with a significant disability. You know, yes, all true, but we need, you know, a lot more in common, right? Because in uh, many preparation programs today, you can go 90 and in some cases 100% of your program without taking a course from another department, right? You can go through elementary ed and not take a special ed class. You can go through your single subject math program and never know a thing about early literacy as if that has nothing to do with the challenges that come to your classroom. And that's just not true, right? That's just not true. Like the, the math teacher in 10th grade who's really frustrated that their, their students struggle to comprehend word problems is intricately linked to the challenges of effective or ineffective early literacy instruction, right? Um, so I think bringing the preparation uh, a, little, a little closer together so we share more, and that will allow us to engage more authentically and deeply in... Um, these things uh, like universal design and co-teaching and co-planning and PBIS, et cetera, right? Um, and and that, will, that will be helpful. And I think that will move us closer to a vision of special education that is a continuum of service as opposed to a continuum of placements, right? Which I think in a lot of schools and districts, that is still the, you know, well, they can be in this room or this room or this room or this room. And we, we continue to talk about what program they can be in based on their disability or, right, where, you know, we should really be thinking about what additional services and support shall we bring to them so that they can effectively learn with their typically developing peers. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, and this is kind of like, I don't know if it's 30,000 feet or it's soap boxy. I don't know. But uh, I think we also need to start to appreciate, even more than we already do, the ways in which special education reinforces social justice problems in our society, at least the way we do it now, right? And, you know, there are all kinds of uh, over-representation of different minority groups in special education that is problematic. You know, it, it doubles down on notions of segregation, except now we formalized it in a system called special ed. Um, I think that there is inherently a um, an injustice. It's a, it's a major problem. If you tell me that a child with an intellectual disability in California will spend 80% of their K through 12 experience only with other children with disabilities, that's a problem, right? That's, that's a, you know, that's an issue that deserves our attention because we are, you know, really a just on a basic level not setting that individual up for the success in life at all right um because the world doesn't work that way uh and, and shouldn't work that way um you know and just their their right to to access their peers right 
typically developing and otherwise, uh, is, is being violated uh, by a system that we've invented. And I think sometimes that's the, the uh, frustration I have is that we will say things like, well, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how it's set up. That's how, that's how schools work. And I want to say, but we run schools. We're the one. We're the ones in charge. Like we'll sit around a group of administrators and go, "Yeah, man, that's tough." Right, schools are set up this way, and I'm like, "But we're the ones paid to run schools. Maybe we should change that. Maybe we should think about how else we might design this so that these injustices don't continue to repeat." Um, so that's that's where I hope we're going. If you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of my interview and school tour with Dr. Aaron Studer, as well as Amy Hanready, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Follow the Think Inclusive podcast on the web at thinkinclusive.us and tell us what you thought of the podcast via Twitter at inclusive underscore pod on Facebook or Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. We love to know that you are listening. Also, a reminder that you can support the Think Inclusive podcast via Patreon or Anchor.fm with a monthly contribution so that we can continue to bring you in-depth interviews with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. On that note, thank you to Patreon's Donna L., Kathleen T and Veronica E for their continued support of the podcast. A special shout out to my producer and love of my life, Brianna. Hands down, you are my favorite person in the universe. Thanks to my boys once again for all of your feedback and suggestions. It is greatly appreciated. Next time on the Think Inclusive podcast. We've been told, we've been taught, we've believed that children with disabilities deserve to do better when, you know, need to be in separate spaces. And that's a convenient thing to think because those students then are somebody else's problem. Thanks for your time and attention. See you next time. This has been a production of Think Inclusive LLC. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.